0: I was actually writing out my 3 by 3s
1: Wow, you're writing them out? Holy shit, this is way. Oh, I always
0: write them out. Oh, man. Wait, you don't? You don't write them out?
1: I'm amazed that it wasn't obvious that I don't. <laughs> what updates do we have, Sam?
0: We have a couple, which touches on a couple of things that we've spoken about previously.
1: That is what updates are for.
0: Yes. So, remember on episode number one... No. When we talked about <laughs> the Dungeons and Dragons character
1: sheet, right? That was like the very first thing we ever talked about, right? Oh, Almost, I'm yeah. A little, it is yeah, the very first thing. I'm getting a little bit nostalgic <laughs> when we didn't even know what a podcast was. We weren't right. old and set in our ways. We were so young and full of dreams <laughs> and hopes, aspirations. I know
0: we're so. I I feel like we were so naive back then, but we've learned so much. <sighs>
1: yeah, we didn't even have a Google Doc for topics.
0: You know, we just freewheeled it or freestyled it, which is crazy. But yeah, we talked about the different characteristics that a character might have. One of the things that we didn't talk about in D&D was character alignment. So in d and <laughs> can't you believe can it. Have... How
1: could we have not talked about character alignment?
0: <laughs> uh, in D&D, we, there is a thing called character alignment, which essentially tells you how a character behaves. Mm-hmm. And it ranges from good, neutral, evil... right and then Lawful, uh, Neutral, and Chaotic.
1: Oh, I see. Is that like a Myers-Briggs... You get some number. You get a combination of... Essentially, right. Right.
0: And um, there's a a great podcast that a friend actually referred to me because he heard our first episode. And (laughs) and
1: then stopped listening.
0: (laughs) Then stopped listening. And then heard a better podcast called 360.
1: Uh Uh-huh. I've not Uh, heard of the show.
0: Yeah, I've never heard of it too, but it's actually pretty good. Um, They're they're talking to... um, Frank Langella Langella who is an actor when you saw his picture if you see his picture you like you'll know who he is he's been around which all this time like I thought Frank Langella was a British actor but no he's from New Jersey he's wow. one of those guys where you think like he was always British but he's actually not British at all
1: yeah he looks like he could be British
0: right and i think in in like one of the first roles that he came out in for like and then the next five consecutive roles after that he always had a british accent
1: mm he got typecast
0: yeah, and in fact, like when he stopped having a British accent, I, I actually thought, man, that guy has a lousy American accent.
1: <laughs> a bit like Martin Freeman in Captain America.
0: <laughs> Wait, who's Martin? Oh, is he? Wait, he's in Captain... You're not supposed to tell me these days. Oh, fuck.
1: Oh, you haven't seen it yet? No! Oh, you've been sick? Okay, fine. Oh. Well, don't worry, it's not a Hobbit Marvel crossover, so he's not playing a Hobbit.
0: Spoilers again.
1: <laughs> it's not a spoiler.
0: <laughs> and in the and in the podcast in three sixty, they talk about how writers use the DnG the D and D character alignment chart uh, to determine their base core characters. Right, and I'm sure you've seen this around where like it's um, you get like all the characters in one show and it's mapped out to all the different nine uh, character alignments that are available in D&D. Like, if you're a fan of Firefly, I'm sure you've seen one that was built around Firefly. If you've seen one, if, you, if you're if you a fan of Star Wars, you probably saw one that's based around all the Star Wars characters.
1: Uh, I am a fan of Firefly. I have never seen this before, though.
0: So I'll pass around in the show notes. Ooh. Um, but I thought it was interesting because um, it is a really good way to... When faced with a problem that a group of characters encounter, um, it's sort of, you can build in the way that they'll react to it based on this character alignment. So I thought it was interesting because it's, uh, you know, another tool that you might want to use for your storytelling.
1: Ah, yeah. I feel like this is the kind of thing I would see on Imager.
0: Right, totally. I'm pretty sure all the links are from either Imager or DeviantArt. So the show actually explains... Explains each square with a little snippet of that character speaking, which I thought was really interesting. (laughs) Yes. And they mix and match all different shows together. It's not just from like one world that they grab all the um, alignments from.
1: Oh, that's a really awesome way of thinking about characters in a show. Thank you, Sam. That's super cool. Have you listened to Carly Rae Jepsen episode of Song Exploder? Yay! Did you enjoy it?
0: I did, because it's exactly the type of things that I like to listen to, although... It is not the song that I would have chosen for that.
1: Run Away With Me obviously would have been so much better. Or the other one that I really like, which I don't remember anymore. Thank you, music streaming services. (laughs) I I now no longer know the name or the number of the track I'm listening to.
0: Which is sad. What did you like about that episode? Is it mainly because you might have thought that I liked it? Yeah, of course. (laughs) (laughs) I think think one thing is clear that, that artists have quasi-fake relationships just so they can emotionally feel right. heartache <laughs>
1: right?
0: so yes. that they can write about it
1: that is good relationship advice right there never date a pop star
0: right because you know that they're just going to use you as material isn't that a thing like that comedians also do is like they purposely get into sel- get themselves into um crazy relationship scenarios just so they can speak about it in bits
1: I've not heard of that, but I can totally believe that's true. Yeah. Mm. She's interesting because she seems to be somewhere between a manufactured pop star, whatever that means. And I don't really know what the definition of what my definition of a manufactured pop star is
0: versus a singer songwriter.
1: Yeah. She seems to fall somewhere between the two where Mm -hmm. she's sort of like she writes songs, but then she has a whole team of producers that she can go to and say and co-writers and say, hey, I have this idea. And then they turn it into something glossy and poppy.
0: Right, there was this really one interesting part where after her breakup, she was just like hanging around this producer's apartment, just like <laughs> thinking of demos, mm. which I thought was like, if I'm the producer, you know, you're just like hanging around with like Carly Rae Jepsen, like getting over her heartbreak and just like producing music. Mm-hmm. It's like just a really awkward scenario, I right? Said, what is the dynamic there? Yeah. <laughs> Like, is the producer there to maybe, I don't know, <laughs> occasionally get some action? And it's like, or is it just like purely there for like the creative process that might come out of it? Um, it's just really weird. I guess it's, it's just a completely different world to me, right? Like, I wouldn't know how to behave in that kind of scenario just because I'm so foreign to that kind of um, relationship, like work relationship that people might have. Like, are we making music here? Like, is this going to go somewhere? Are we just like hanging out? And to produce something from that session that ultimately became one of their tracks.
1: Yeah, I, I'm so curious as to how like the money works in that yeah. kind of situation. Is this like Carly Rae Jepsen going, Yeah, we've got to make some songs for this next record, and I'll pay you. Or is it the producers hang going- hang out with me. Wow, right. Or is it the producers going, or the record label going, We need this album by this date. Right. Here are some producers. You have to write some songs. I just I just don't understand how that works like where's the driving force for releasing or creating music or writing right. music? Mm-hmm. I guess it sort of comes from her, but it yeah, I don't know I'm so I'm just curious about it i just I just don't understand how its works.
0: Good episode if you want to hear how that sort of thing um all comes together from like a pop aspect that's like from a pop star who's um you know been around I guess that manufactured stage and now has enough say to determine what her next songs will be
1: because mm. she had a huge hit like several several years ago then yep. was embroiled in record label contracts and negotiations and stuff like that right and she didn't do anything mm-hmm. for the longest time and then she got out of a contract and now she's back is that roughly the situation
0: i believe that is the case i'm not a 100 percent carly ray jepson follower
1: i find that hard to believe <laughs>
0: So I, I, I'm not able to tell you, but... But
1: out of, out, of, out of both of us, it feels like you're probably closer.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm the one that's going to be standing in line if she has like a concert somewhere.
1: There was some fun uh, little producer tidbits as well. Yeah. They sample in some of her outtakes low into the mix just to add...
0: Personality. Yeah. Right? You can tell like they obviously have like... Um, they had a, a almost like a mood board for the album as well, which is to sound like the 80s. And when they played that... Track from like Frankie and Diane with the drum fill. Yes,
1: right. You go. Oh, that is kind of the same. <laughs>
0: exactly. It's like exactly the
1: same. And they got like some kick-ass bassist who has just come off tour with someone huge to right. do a little like slap bass,
0: <laughs> slap
1: at the bass. It sounds amazing, and it's yeah, it's funny. If I just listened to that, I probably thought that was like pro- sequenced in, perhaps, mm-hmm. or programmed in, rather than as actually a human playing. Yeah, which is impressive, yeah. Yeah. I think
0: a good bass line is always really impressive. The sad part is most bass lines these days aren't that impressive. I actually read a book during the time for this week as you're finishing up Total Recall. So I was able to wrap up um, Calamity, which is book three.
1: I don't don't know what smugness sounds like, but this is it. (laughs) It's, it's
0: a book that you're not interested in at all, so it's The Reckoners, mm-hmm. book, yeah. the final book. Yeah, I finished it, you know, in that week,
1: <laughs> that was there. Audible have started sending me book recommendations, and one of them was the second book of The Reckoners. <laughs> <laughs> the last two weeks, we have been reading Total Recall, My Unbelievably True Life Story by Arnold Schwarzenegger. But because I didn't do my homework, I've been doing it for three weeks. But you'll be glad to hear that I have finished it today after only skipping three chapters towards the end.
0: I think it is understandable, because the last parts do get a little bit political.
1: Which is interesting. I mean, I wish I was a bigger man, and I Mm -hmm. could have listened to it all. Because that is, I mean, it is crazy what he did. At the same time, it didn't really hold my interest, at the end at least, so.
0: Yeah, it was getting a little bit dicey for me as well. And I think if you're either uh, a person who's lived in California or who has a deeper interest or yeah. maybe even like a, uh, you know, a moderate interest in, poli- in politics yeah. and how like the governorship works. It's really interesting. It'd be really interesting. But yeah, for me, like I, I mainly read it for um, trying to listen to like the stuff he got through um, in his own way rather than um, listening to the actual contents of it.
1: I was the same. I also didn't have a whole bunch of context around his governorship. Like, I knew it happened. I didn't really know any more about it going into this book than that. So, it was interesting that he did it, but the machinations and the comings and goings, perhaps, Mm -hmm. weren't that great.
0: So, the summary, yeah, the summary of the book. um, It's essentially his life story of how he grew up in Austria. It it starts from Austria, and then his eventual move to, like... um, I think it was like New York initially and then to California um, and then him spending more time in California and his first introduction to movies um, and who his uh, role models were and how he started a business in California and then ultimately became uh, a governor and now sort of um, living his life the way he lives it all told, which I think it was actually written by himself. Like, I don't think there was a ghostwriter. Uh, yeah, I couldn't tell. I I want to give him the benefit of not because he is a pretty intelligent guy.
1: I mean, whenever I see a celebrity autobiography, I always think, Ah, oh, there must be a ghostwriter in there too. We shall leave that up to you, dear reader, to decide. Should we do the three by three? Let's do it. Three points. Uh, the first point,
0: I think, um, I found this really entertaining. The way that it was presented, even though it was just sort of a chronological order, there was some uh, mindfulness into like, how one section was about his bodybuilding and then like it got into a section about his movie making and then it got into a section about his being into politics and it was pretty well organized, which also kind of tells me maybe he had like really good editors. Um, Mm. But it was all very entertaining and I couldn't put it down. Um, And I found it really interesting to just um, to, to listen about someone's life. Like it's been a long time since I've, Uh, read or heard a autobiography.
1: Mm, Yeah, me too.
0: Um, And I just found it you know, like there are really remarkable people living among us and it's always really interesting to hear about them.
1: Yes. I realized how much I kind of like autobiography as a genre, which I don't think I would have read myself. So thank you, Sam. You have expanded my horizons. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure I have concrete, good and bad things. I guess I just have like observations. Mm-hmm. I was interested that he used becoming a Republican as a way to rebel against his European upbringing. Yeah, which, you find out how much yes. of
0: a rebel he is to the core.
1: Well, yeah, which kind of explains why he became a Republican. And then that made me question my p- politics since I, too, am sort of rebelling against Europe. But at the same time, I don't think I'm a Republican. I think some of these things are kind of set up. He, There's a reference to him... Uh, going to buy art for his one of his first apartments and he just finds a picture he likes of a cowboy and it turns out that it's Ronald Reagan on a horse or something right. and I mean it's kind of nice how that's threaded through oh he gets a picture of Ronald Reagan the only other actor who then became a a, a politician and then that's threaded through as to how he to like his life
0: yeah but I think that also sort of signifies like the things that he took as signals right yeah um, whether it was like Kismet or like he is remembering things that he wants to remember. Um oh. Which gives me to like my second point is like this book is totally crafted to be on Arnie's side, right? I found that to be kind of a good point and a bad point because one, he is a pure entertainer, right? Mm-hmm. And he always tries to make things like a 150% for his fans. And I definitely felt that with his book because It's almost like he went to an Arnie fan, and he's like, what are the things that you want to know about my life? And then wrote them down, and then expanded on those, and gave it to us.
1: It's very difficult to be humble when you're writing your own (laughs) life story. I felt like there was times he wanted to be humble, but it just is very difficult to do. Yeah. I made little notes. I took my trainees out for dinner, even though I didn't have enough money. Which is a really humble thing to do, but then telling people that you did it, <laughs> right, and framing it as "look how great I am" because I didn't have any money, but I still took people out for dinner. In fact, I'm not even. I think it's almost impossible. I don't know how you would do that. I think that perhaps also feeds into your point. He's there's no way for it not to be uh to sound like an Arnold fan club, in a way because yeah. he's writing it.
0: <laughs> I, I mentioned thing about like he is a total entertainer, so he touched on the the little things that like a fan would really like and there's so many things like when i was listening to this i got so much insight as to like oh so that's how they did it like that's what they did Mm. um because i i do feel like this is a figure that i've been growing up with and so when i heard this like i actually recalled all those moments when i did watch like total recall or like predator or or some of his early movies and didn't realize like how fortunate or like how uh lucky he was to get those roles And I always assumed that it was just like, oh, yeah, like he must be a big star and he rightfully got that because he was popular. But you sort of see all the hard work that went into like behind the scenes on how much he trained himself to actually be ready for those roles. All the stuff that he did was like a lot more insightful than like a lot of other personal success books um, that Mm -hmm. talk about like the secret code that you have to do in order to achieve things.
1: I think I will look at his movies in a whole new light and just his dedication to the role.
0: And how much is about, like, knowing the right people?
1: Another theme that goes through the book is the, uh, is repetitions. Yes. Uh, starting from weightlifting and doing reps mm-hmm. through to doing repeated takes in movie scenes yep. and then repeating, uh, speeches. Questions, yep, and yeah. debates. And, and, and debates like that, and sometimes observations are so simple and obvious that you are surprised by them mm-hmm. and this i think is something i was really i was surprised by like yes it's really obvious when someone says that to kind of internalize it and actually uh, see how he applied that to his life and having that i don't know that that ability to recognize yep. that that is how things work and that kind of applies to everything in life like sam you were probably a you were a shitty designer and then you did then you did rep after rep of terrible designs Mm -hmm. and then they slowly got better and now you're a freaking awesome designer 100 ninjas is a great case in point everything you do is just reps
0: right even writing right like even writing um us doing this podcast i mean it's all going to add up to hopefully us becoming better podcasters
1: yep (laughs) that's that's the hope at least (laughs) (laughs) come back next year to find out how we get on (laughs)
0: <laughs> and yeah and that's definitely one of the things that i took from this book is like um you know even if it may seem so simple it's like really important of how important that like the repetition and building muscle memory into stuff is
1: that idea of something so simple yet powerful um reminded me of this These things that stuck with me there's an episode of peep show have you heard of
0: this is it uh the show that did number wang uh
1: well it's the same same duo right um Whose names I'm going to forget because I haven't been in England enough recently, so they've slipped from my mind. David
0: Mitchell, David
1: Mitchell, and Robert Webb. Oh, thank yeah. you. See, you know this. Yep. Uh. So yeah, they have a sitcom called Peep Show. I won't go into it now, but it's a yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty awesome show. I think it's probably on Netflix or at least Hulu. It's like British yeah. show. Um, it's on
0: one of those that I've seen.
1: The whole conceit is everything is filmed from a point of view of a person.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: So yeah, each shot. Is to, is someone's point of view? You, it sounds like a gimmick, but
0: there's a person who is peeping. Do they speak? Yeah. Do they interact? Yes. Oh, interesting.
1: Yeah, it sounds like a really cheesy gimmick, but it 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 works really well. I, I think you takes you a couple of minutes to get used to it, and then you're like, oh, yeah, of course. You don't even give it a second thought. There's a moment there where where David Mitchell's character has a revelation. I'll see if I can find the exact episode. Um, I might, I'll put it in the show notes. But he has a revelation that, oh my God, life is just people walking into rooms and talking. <laughs> and that stuck with me. Like This was yeah. probably at least five or six years ago. <laughs> that's all life is. You're just walking into rooms and talking. But what does that wisdom got you? Like, are
0: you more attentive in those rooms? Are you more interacting in those rooms?
1: It puts things in perspective, I suppose. Yep. You realize that that is all this is. And if your case, you're worried or uh nervous about doing things, you're just mm-hmm. like, Well, I'm just walking into a room and talking. Mm. That is all that's happening right now. So put things in perspective.
0: One other last thing that I found was super interesting about the book, I really liked his sense of his self growth. Like whenever he found like he couldn't do something, he immediately latches onto someone who he thinks is a mentor.
1: He finds the best person. Right. That.
0: And then just asks them questions like he's learning from them without even hesitating.
1: Almost like a childlike curiosity or desire to learn, which I think we could all benefit from.
0: And I think that's one of his, definitely one of the signs of like, uh, or one of his factors of of being so successful is that he totally knew when he wasn't good enough and he took the right steps to make sure he was good enough. But I think that makes it like four points for me.
1: Something else that was just mildly interesting. He gets into a, into a car wreck like within the first few months of being in los angeles <laughs> <laughs> and i thought it was just amusing how when in describing the scene he he identifies a, a vw beetle and then there are just some other american cars <laughs> that are involved which i thought was kind of a nice touch as you know a recent immigrant <laughs> there
0: there are lots of things like that where i sort of um did like a what like what is he talking about there are some things where he tries to like Talk about uh people being gay in the muscle building in the muscle in the bodybuilding world. Yeah. Which was like awkward back in the seventies and eighties. He tries to put it in a way where he's like comfortable about it, but it's just really awkward coming from <laughs> Arnold,
1: right? You're right. That's something I took out. He was is not I don't believe he's homophobic, but the right. some of his phrasing is you're just a little bit like, oh
0: yeah, he's like overcompensating his comfortableness with it. Kind of in a way where you know Like it was trained Like he could genuinely be comfortable And probably isn't homophobic But you know that he grew up in a world where It wasn't
1: There is some awkwardness there How he deals with his father's death is I think he, he even Admits that he Didn't deal with it and right. it comes across in the book. You get two minutes on his father's death, followed by ten minutes on how he got into the real estate business, right? Uh, which I thought was a curious uh, juxtaposition. Yeah, and he kind of I- deals with that later on and says, you know, he or rather he he addresses that later on and says, you know, he yep. purposefully he was aware that he was just in denial and kind of pushed it to the back of his mind and carried on. But you wonder how the balance is between being dedicated to your dreams and focusing entirely on that versus your family. Mm. Yeah. And how that balances out.
0: One side of me sort of understands him, but yeah. the other side of me just like can't help but think he's a bit of a dick. Uh, yeah. But
1: yes, I had that same reaction. I think,
0: you know, I think throughout this book, you know, there's one thing for certain is that he is a bit egotistical.
1: I mean, you guess you have to be.
0: Yeah, right? But that that's the exact that's the exact thing. Like I don't think you can be Arnold Schwarzenegger. In this world unless you're egotistical and i think that has to do with him really just wanting to make it big in america and yep. a big part of that was like him sort of cutting off his ties uh, and his family
1: because he does talk about that at the end at the very end where he 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 sort of wonders had his father been more caring or loving or mm-hmm. inclusive or uh including that's not a word uh, inclusive inclusive mm. yes or at least displayed more affection Yep. He perhaps wouldn't have rebelled so much, or he questioned whether he would even have made it to America, had he hadn't had this strong urge to um, get away. To get away, mm-hmm. yeah. But I can relate to him wanting to leave Europe and come to America, because that's what I did. <laughs> I do understand wh- where he where he talks about like this is where success happens, and I think I agree with him. Mm-hmm. It's I mean, England for all its history and cuteness and greatness nothing happens there anymore it's pretty much you know if you want to make it certainly in the field that i am i'm interested in tech you know podcasting tv all that stuff that really happens in the states right and pretty much now i mean if you want to be in a rock band maybe being in england is good because there's perhaps still some cachet in, in british bands but really, like, there's not much happening. If you want to make it, you kind of have to come to the States. And like, this is where it, where it happens. Aren't the fancy dog shows in England? Crufts. Yes. There is a fancy dog show. Okay, that's true. If you want to be a dog breeder, perhaps going to the UK is good for you. <laughs> and ballroom dancing? I am not aware of the ballroom dancing scene in the UK. Isn't that in,
0: like, Blackwell?
1: This is outside my wheelhouse.
0: <laughs> but yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, and I think, like, listening to his book, he definitely took all those opportunities. Um, he started like his own mail order thing, which I think yeah. to this day he still continues. Which was one of the first things that he started as a bodybuilder. He started his own like uh, construction business with his good friend. You know, there was like that sense of entrepreneurship, and they knew how to market it and sell it. And then he also got into like real estate, which which is the first thing that made him his first million dollars. He got into movies because he wanted to like it wasn't because he wanted to make money from it like he wanted to be the star and like he took that opportunity to be in movies
1: he sort of describes how once he's done one thing he's like right what's next so once he became Miss olympia he's like right done that he's like right what's next Oh, movies oh i'm become the highest paid movie star right what's next oh yep. politics impressive uh work ethic Yeah, I didn't have too
0: many bad points. I think the other bad point that I have is um, the politics, which I think is a big part of his life, so it's rightfully in there, but to Mm me, it felt a bit flat. There was, I think, if you can carry on the theme of his rebellion, like it still showed, it carried that theme through like the stuff that he got past. And a lot of what I listened to about the politics section is of how he had to do some of the things that he had to um, Mm -hmm. because of this recession that they were facing. And it kind of seemed like backpedaling. Um, he's sort of explaining himself. If you wanted to backpedal, like it would have to be your biography, I would imagine. <laughs>
1: right. I would like to read an opposing opinion of mm. his time as uh, as governor of California. Just right. to get an alternative perspective on the stuff he was doing. Because it all sounded very reasonable when he yep. was talking about it.
0: Yeah, he seemed to go from like a straight Republican to a middle ground Republican.
1: There was a part where he talks about John Milius who directed Conan, Ooh. and then I think he also wrote the script for Hunt for Great Red October, Hunt for right. Red October, and was very big in like the mid-80s, mm-hmm. and then promptly disappeared. And uh, that reminded me that there's a really awesome documentary called Milius uh, on ah. Netflix that studies him and how he was this golden golden child of Hollywood, and then Hollywood turned against him. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Oh, well, when I said Hunt for Red October, I actually meant Red Dawn.
0: Red Dawn, yeah. right.
1: But it's interesting. You look at his timeline and, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff, late 70s, mm-hmm. mid 80s, where, where he's a writer and then kind of off. nothing.
0: Yeah. The The third, I guess, third bad point is that he does a lot of name dropping.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about this as well because it bothered me, but then... At the it's same like, time, what's he going to do instead? Right, Is he gonna, are you right. not going to name drop? Like, isn't that kind of part of why we're interested in this book? I yeah, I felt con- I, I was conflicted about this. Yeah, time. I was
0: conflicted. Like, I don't know if it's a good thing or if it was like him being actually, um, talking about his friends. Right, like mm-hmm. these are people that he did hang out with, like go have meals with, met with regularly. Um, the thing that really got me was like, oh, I needed a really beautiful painting of uh, my wife Maria,
1: and so I gave
0: my friend Andy Warhol a, a phone yes. phone call, yes. and he said, and I said, "Listen, Andy, you have to do me a favor." Which to me, it's like the most Arnie thing you can ever say if you are going to call up a famous artist. And he goes into like details about how great this uh, this photo and painting was. But yeah, lots of name dropping.
1: The only other bad point was that the uh, the narrator seemed to be all over the place. I'd wonder yeah. if this was recorded over several months or years because he
0: had like seven different voices.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, like it was the it was the same guy, but his voice was just slightly different, <laughs> seemingly from chapter to chapter.
0: Right. I think it was like the beginning of the chapter. He always sounded different from by the end of the chapter.
1: <laughs> just worn like, down, yeah. exhausted.
0: Yeah, there were some things where it was definitely... You felt like he was either trying to do an Arnold-like impression.
1: Oh, that must be so hard to not do that.
0: Right. And then there are some parts where he just sounded like a, a like a crusty old man. And some where he just sounded like a normal dude. And I was like, wait, are these like three different narrators? And yeah, I was confused for, for uh, a large part of the time. But yeah, I got used to it. What would you give this book out of five?
1: I would give it a four. It was long. I think for future book clubs I'm gonna have to limit it to maybe like a 12, 13 hour maximum. Yep. Because it turns out I just don't have enough time in two weeks to get through twenty four hours. Oh, that I guess the other bad point was, you know, at two X speed it was perfectly listenable, which bothered me, but like why why do I have to <laughs> double the speed to make this go at a reasonable rate? And I'm getting increasingly annoyed by the audible player.
0: Yeah, it's really dumb.
1: The syncing thing is driving me crazy. Because I would always go to turn it on once I get once I'm in the subway station. And there must obviously be like a tiny bit of connection so it thinks it can phone home and and sync to the latest part.
0: It is so horrible. Like, sometimes I actually purposely put it into airplane mode.
1: Yes, just to go, look, dumbass.
0: Yeah, just to have it play right away.
1: If someone is tapping play, it should play. Right. You should be able to say, I know you're trying to be clever and sync to a position that i've listened to on another device but a it should be smart enough to know that i don't have another device (laughs) uh so it should display second of all the maybe it was just on this 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 um this book but the the overall volume was about 20 percent less than yep. when I listened to something in uh, in overcast, so <laughs> I would go listen to another podcast, blast my ears out, <laughs> and just really notice how quiet this, uh, yeah, this this book was mastered. So
0: yeah, and the the parts where like Arnold was speaking, he was probably recording it from like an air conditioned room because there's so much
1: <laughs> yes yeah, hiss
0: part- in the background. Yeah, that was noticeable too. Yeah, um, but Audible is really stupid because Audible. Uh, the player, if you go into the player mm. it has what it's called um, night mode which turns the interface dark
1: Oh, okay, I didn't know that
0: But then, you get out of the now playing view and everything is still bright I don't know, to me, I feel like that's pretty dumb If you're going to give the capabilities of night mode I feel like even if you're going out of the player, like the now playing view it should still be it should still be dark One other thing, my pet peeve So if you look at the now playing view do you see the little hat, the the three fourth circle with the arrow and the thirty seconds inside of them? <laughs> Do you see how the thirty seconds <laughs> yes. is not yes vertically centered?
1: That's so horrible. Oh god, yeah.
0: I look at that and it just drives me absolutely crazy.
1: Um, but I would say yeah, a four, a four. It was really interesting. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, he's pretty insightful.
0: I am going to give this book
1: a five out of five. Whoa, gee, Sam, you're throwing those stars around like candy. I really found this super entertaining. I mean, you did manage to get through this in two thirds of the time it took me. So right. I guess that's probably a good sign. It
0: really touched on everything that I wondered about his life um, without me seeming like I actually wondered about it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like everything I heard, I was like, oh yeah, that's really interesting. Like I've, I've I was kind of wondering about that, but in fact, like I haven't been. It was just really entertainingly told. One of the few tidbits that I recall is um how he did his voice training and like when he exactly he learned how to speak English another thing was like uh him like during the filming of Pumping Iron and how he was sort of a dick to Lou Ferrigno yeah and his uh sort of um mindset behind that him meeting Maria Shriver like all this time like I thought oh man that's such a political get-together but it totally, I mean, he's totally right in saying Maria Shriver is a strong woman. If she didn't want to date Arnold, like she wouldn't have dated Arnold. He also goes to explain about like his illegitimate son, which I was really curious about. Yeah, that kind of pops up from nowhere. Right, which also just popped out of nowhere. Also, it was probably what he thought too. <laughs> but one of the most important things that I found was like, he he just mentions it briefly, but, you know, in like the 90s, actors, famous Hollywood actors would go to Japan to make a commercial these commercials would pay tons of money, but then they also had the secrecy clause, meaning that none of these commercials would show in the U.S. because yeah. it contained, like, it contained the uh, the actors' um, credibility, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And they got paid five million dollars for some of these one-day shoots. It's crazy, pants. I mean, we always success. Like me and my brothers, whenever we saw these commercials in Japan or in Asia, we always wondered. Like, realistically, like, how much do you think they got paid? Because um, mm. we saw, you know, <laughs> we saw all of Arnold's, like, as we were growing up. Wow. We saw, like, the Tommy Lee Jones ones as we were growing up. We saw the the Brad Pitt one just as he's becoming, like, a super hot star. And he was, like, selling jeans. And, like, even, like, the Leonardo DiCaprio ones. Like, we saw him doing, like, a Toyota commercial for, like, RAV4. And we always wondered, like, how much they'd be getting paid because these were, like, big-name Hollywood stars. And we'd always throw around numbers, like... Realistically, like it's actually probably about five hundred thousand dollars, because mm. think about it, like you spend one day in Japan, you get treated like gods, and you do one day of shooting, and then you go back, like five hundred thousand dollars is actually you know a really decent amount, but I w- no, no. We were <laughs> we were nowhere close. so I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. but yeah, I really love this book. Um, I would highly recommend. It to uh, all of my friends and family.
1: So, yeah, well done, Sam. Good choice. Thanks. You are partially redeemed. <laughs> <laughs> so, this book club is actually a recommendation from a uh, friend of the show, Will Meyer. Oh. It is Originals How Nonconformists Move the World by Adam Grant. So, in case you hadn't guessed from the title, we are back in Self Improvement World. Yep. We have left fiction and autobiography way behind us. So let me just give you a little synopsis.
0: Is that how you pronounce it? No.
1: Oh, there's so many horrible buzzwords. (laughs) In his new book, Adam Grant, one of his generation's most compelling and provocative thought leaders, again addresses the uh, challenge of improving the world around us. But now from the perspective of becoming a trailblazer, choosing to go against the grain, Battle conformity and buck outdated traditions. How can we stand up for new ideas, policies, and practices without risking our reputations, relationships, and careers? Sounds
0: like sounds like it's a great use case for Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's an original.
1: He uh, he was a nonconformist. So actually, that seems quite topical.
0: With a with a forward by Sheryl Sandberg. Do you know who Sheryl Sandberg is?
1: I initially thought she was a pop star from the mid nineties. She no. is
0: a VP and Facebook. She is the Uh, lean-in
1: woman. She uh, wrote Lean In. Oh, right. Well, there you go. That is uh, praise indeed. Oh, here it says right here. Originals is one of the most important and captivating books I have ever read, full of surprising and powerful ideas. It will not only change the way you see the world, it might just change the way you live your life. Sheryl Crow said that, so you should listen to her.
0: She is chief operating crow at Facebook. There you go. So it's a book that you've already had.
1: Well, after Will suggested it, Ah. I went out and bought it.
0: Have you started reading it?
1: I haven't because I've been taken up. All my time has been taken up with Arnold Schwarzenegger.
0: Gotcha. I wonder if I should. Yeah, there's no way that I can actually read this. So I'm going to listen to it. I am purchasing this right now on Audible.
1: And if you have a book that you want us to review, uh, then uh, pester Sam because it's his choice next time.
0: (laughs) Send an email to hello at Isistashow.com. Have we set that up? No, we haven't.
1: <laughs> how is the gardening looking? How's the, uh, uh, how have great. the seeds? If
0: you are a follower of my Snapchats, you would be getting real-time updates.
1: I have Snapchat. Do you? <laughs> yes, this is about the seventh time I've installed it. I would install it and go, what the fuck is this? Uninstall it, and then just play that dance several times. I still don't really get it, but...
0: Well, if you want to follow me on the Snapchats... And I do. My username... Is Icon Samlius. I-C-O-N-S-A-M-L-I-U-S.
1: I I guess Icon Sam was taken? (laughs) Yeah,
0: some asshole (laughs) ticket.
1: Who would take that? Rude. I know.
0: There
1: you go. Okay, now I have uh, three friends on Snapchat.
0: (laughs) Um. Uh, Be ready to watch videos of my kids, because that's mainly what I Snapchat.
1: Okay, good. That's something else I can ignore, then. (laughs) (laughs) touching more uh what am i saying um i'm so glad i can edit this shit out